It's the Chronicles of Aguna, it's the Social Club, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of The Social Club, our show on the Chronicles of Aguna where we broaden our horizons a little bit and talk about some of the wider issues in the Premier League. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Tweedledee and Tweedledum, <laughs> Dan DeLuca, Simon Alavi. Uh, DeLuca, first of all, how you doing, mate? How do you think I'm doing? How do you think I'm doing? I'm doing terribly. Yeah. Shortly after a Spurs defeat, that's why I'm all smiles. De Luca, not so much. Also, welcome back to the panel, Mr. Muscles himself, Simon Alavi. How you doing? I'm good, mate. All good. Yeah, happy about my prediction. So, can you just lean forward so people can see that ridiculous hairband you're wearing on <laughs> hair that is nowhere near long enough to have a hairband? Is it the hairband or the Mike Tyson top? It's Terrible. quite contradictory, isn't it? A hairband. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> uh, big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat I can see there's plenty of you in there already um big hello to all our members as well uh, you can see the members in the chat the guys with the little icons uh, just a quick reminder to our members if you're a gold member or above uh, you can catch up with our latest bit of members content which was a deep dive into granite Xhaka and his undeniable importance to Mikel Arteta's side i know uh, Granit Xhaka is a controversial figure at the Arsenal, but uh, if you watch that and you're still not convinced about him, uh, then I'll just have to just just move on. Just have to move on. Uh, we're going to kick off by talking about the decision that came out from the FA today with regards to David Luiz's red card. Now, I'm absolutely livid about this, and I'll tell you, I'll explain to you guys why I'm livid, and then you two, as non-Arsenal fans, can have your say and I can see De Luca rolling his eyes already right let's let's kick this off David Luiz gets sent off for not making a challenge we've all established that there is a loophole in the law there is a grey area in the law the referee has gone and uh, you know well the referee hasn't gone and looked at it which is my major issue with the whole incident in the first place he's come to the decision he's come to if ever there was an opportunity for the FA to look at two incidents on the same night, that one and the one that occurred at Old Trafford between Anthony Martial and Jan Bednarek, overturn both the cards and make the necessary adjustment to the law, this was the time to do it. But they passed up that opportunity. And what gets me and really gets my blood boiling is that they've overturned one and not the other. Now, overturn one, sorry, you overturn both or you overturn none for me. You can't do it one way for one and one way for the other. Neither player actually made a challenge on their opponent. Both their opponents engineered minimal contact and hit the deck to win penalties. Dan DeLuca, first of all, what's the difference between the two incidents? Why has one been overturned and Arsenal's hasn't? Okay, 
if I can make a quick deal, deal with the listeners in the sense that I'll make a confession. I took my Spurs shirt off before I come on this show. Okay. So, therefore, when I give my views, it's, it's as a neutral. Okay. That, that's why I did that. <clears throat> so, the difference between the two decisions for me. So, I, let's, get this, let's get this right. I didn't think David Luiz deserved to be sent off. So, let's get that out there. Okay. I didn't think Luiz deserved to be sent off. I'll go further than that. I didn't think it was a penalty. I'm in the minority of people on that. Most people Fuck say, yeah. Hell. Okay. I didn't think it was a penalty. We can talk about that after. But Even different... Harry thinks it's a penalty. I, I don't think it was a penalty. Okay. If you want to know why, I can tell you why. But the difference between the two decisions is one is clearly a dive by Anthony Marshall and one isn't a dive. So exactly. you've killed a bit of my argument, Harry, because what, what you've done is you've hit the nail on the head by being honest about what your concerns are here. And what we're doing here is we're doing the football fan thing where what riles us is what other teams get and what other teams do. And this theory that we all have at certain times that other teams get favoured and certain teams don't and all that sort of stuff, they're completely different. And I feel on this occasion, if there wasn't a decision on the same night or on the same day today that wasn't overturned, I don't think there'd be half the steam about this whatsoever. The reality is the referees decided it was a penalty. The rule, which is terrible, decides that David Luiz has to be sent off. There is no grounds for an appeal whatsoever that is ever going to get through any kind yeah. of governing or judiciary body. There has to be grounds for an appeal. So to, to overturn that, the referee has to come out, or the, whoever it is now, the FA reviewing it, says, reviewed that, he's got it wrong, we're going to overturn it. He hasn't got it wrong versus any rules that are written down. The Southampton one, yeah. someone has reviewed that and quite clearly seen that Marshall has dived, thus the decision is wrong. So the only way that appeal can be upheld is if someone looks at it, like me, and doesn't think it's a penalty, and I'm in the minority. So if you think it's a penalty, unfortunately, it's a red card because the rules are shit. And it, for me, it's as simple as that. I, I can get why people are passionate about it. But you, if you ignore the other decision and take that, it shouldn't come into it. If you look at that decision, there's no grounds for an appeal whatsoever. It was a waste of time. Yeah. But the the issue here, Dan, is that we're saying there's no grounds for appeal, right? And you're saying that we couldn't, we shouldn't compare the two incidents necessarily. How can you not compare them when they're almost identical? They occurred on the same evening, and they've been handled in two completely different ways. Because now, Harry, Mike Dean, Mike Dean, hold on, hold on, the other, hold on, Mike Dean is probably even worse than Craig Paulson because he's actually gone and looked at the screen and still made a mistake. And so, they've overturned it. And they've overturned it. So why haven't they overturned Pawson's? Because they've overturned Mike Dean's because he got it wrong by the law. Whereas with David Dewey's, they've got a loophole in the law where they've said, actually, the law might not be brilliantly written, but by the, and I don't agree with the law, but by the constraints of the law, you have sort of made the right decision. And it pains me to say it, but the rule is... The offender player is cautioned if the offence is an attempt to make the ball. All other circumstances means he gets sent off. Now, so, so you're saying thought, so you're saying Bednarek made an attempt to get the ball there? No, no, no. no. So take Bednarek's aside. Bednarek's is right, for, forget David Luiz's. Why? Why is the Bednarek incident different? Because it's a dive. Because Bednarek's is a dive, so it's been overturned because you cannot dive within the rules of football. David Luiz's can't be overturned because the rule says an offending player is cautioned 
not red carded if the offence is a deliberate play to make the ball. All other circumstances result in a sending off. Now, unfortunately, the loophole in the rule is that David Luiz's falls under that all other circumstances. I don't agree with it. It's ridiculous because all other circumstances, unfortunately, encapsulates David Luiz just trying to get out of the way. But that's how the rule is written. The rule should be written as if you make a deliberate foul or deliberate handball or deliberate offence, you get red carded. If not, it's a yellow. Unfortunately, the rule is written in, in a different way. And therefore, by the rule, they've made the correct decision by David Luiz and the incorrect decision by Martial. And that's why one's got rescinded and one hasn't. What I do think is it's a great opportunity for the FA to think, wait a minute, this is a, this is a really bad loophole, a really bad grey area here. We need to correct the rule. But they haven't. But surely as an Arsenal fan or just as a football fan, you can see why by law they've had to go with let one me, and not the other. Let me open no? this up just a little bit, right? Open up this a little bit. I would have no, I've, got, I've got no issue, right, with a referee deciding to ignore the law on the light on the night and apply common sense. Now, why is that might feel contradictory? If a referee went over to the video, saw that incident, and he said, actually, the red card is not the right outcome for this scenario, I'm not going to give it. And then we'll have an argue, argument about it later. Yeah, it's a brave ref who does that, but I, I've yeah. got no issue with that. But there's a difference between someone refereeing an incident and then a governing judiciary body exactly. reviewing reviewing exactly. conduct. What you are reviewing, it's a bit like if a policeman stops me for speeding, he can choose to let me go if he's in a good mood. If he gives me a fine and I'm not speeding, and I go to a judiciary body, that will be overturned. Exactly. If he gives me a fine and I am speeding, well, it's tough shit and I've got to take it. And a judiciary body has to look at pure black and white legal facts. So there is no chance that decision is ever going to be overturned. And just to reiterate, the difference between the two decisions is one is a clear dive. It's a clear, incorrect decision. And the judiciary body has reviewed that and said, you've got it wrong. He can't say that to Craig Porson. Because the, the, no biggest ground... joke is, the, the biggest joke is David Luiz might have, should have genuinely gone for a tackle and missed completely and said, well, I'll try to get the ball. He'd be in a better position. That's a good point, actually. Because you're encouraging failing. This is the point. This is the point, though. This is the point. But but Harry, you're arguing the loophole for a law. No, 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 hold on. You're arguing against the loophole in the law. You're not. You shouldn't be arguing against what the FA have done. The FA have just upheld the law. I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking about the nonsense of a law, right? Okay, fine. You're 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 David Louise, right? You've been ridiculed in the past. You've been ridiculed in the past for being in that situation and pulling back players committing fouls and being shown red cards off the back of that. Genuinely, when I was watching that live, I thought when I first saw it, first glance before a single replay, my initial gut was David Luiz must have pulled him. He must have done something. He must have done something more than what he actually did. So as a referee, you need to go over to the monitor and be sure and check. That's what VAR is there for. It's a safety net to stop you making Big, big mistakes. And people will argue that it was a penalty. People will argue that he deserved a red card by the letter of the law. But as Keith Hackett said on the show yesterday, as DDL says very often in our group, do we want to see people sent off for that in football? Is that where we want our game to go? Devil's advocate, 
does the referee go to the monitor and the guy in his ear goes, sorry, mate, but that's a law. You, you still do have to send him off because what he's yeah. done falls into the all other circumstances no, no, category. No, we don't know, do we? Because we don't know what... We never hear these conversations. Oh, that's so the problem. The, the bit I agree with completely... So I don't think it's a penalty. So it's easy for me. I don't believe that's a penalty. I don't well, think... Don't a foul, anything's a penalty. No, but I don't think a foul's been committed. I see a guy running back exactly how he should be and I see a a contact of legs which is natural when a guy loses balance i think it's i think it's unfortunate i don't think a foul's been committed so it's easy for me i i say that's not a foul and that's it the problem goes away unlucky wolves man but the shit happens get up off you go but you're having two different arguments at the same time here on one argument you're questioning whether the law is correct and someone should go to the var and then the other argument is should the fa overturn it the fa cannot possibly overturn exactly it. that part i agree with they can't. They can't it. possibly. They can't it. No ground. Without saying we are going to use this as a president to change the law. Let's um let let's have a look at Craig Pawson's rap sheet, if you like, because Craig Pawson has got history with Arsenal. He won you an and, FA um, Cup, by the way. And it's it's, it's not good it's, history. He's not the first, is he? It's not good history. Craig Pawson's crime sheet against Arsenal in the last two seasons sent off Eddie and Ketia for his challenge on Justin. Haven't really got an issue with that one. Didn't send Jorginho off for a second yellow in our home loss against Chelsea where Mikel Arteta first took over. Inexcusable, that one. Didn't send off Mane for smacking Tierney in the face. Sends off Luis for running behind someone. Disallowed our goal against Crystal Palace when he was on the VAR and ruled out Lacazette's header against Leicester earlier in the season. So you can understand why Arsenal fans are frustrated with Craig Pawson. You can understand why there are football supporters out there from all different clubs starting to think that some of these referees have an agenda. My personal view is that these referees are just so incompetent that they're just making error after error after error and people are turning off from the game. I've been saying it to you guys all week. I don't even want to watch Premier League football. I said it to you last week. Can you ignore that? But I do think it's a bit like I said at the beginning that there is a typical football fan thing because we're all humans and we're all passionate about our own clubs and we will look at something like that. And I do feel the the noise about this is more because Bednarek got off more so than Louise didn't, which I've got an issue with. But I'm I'm not an Arsenal fan. I don't watch Arsenal religiously. But just looking down that list you've got there, I would say three of them decisions were correct in my view. That's my view. Um as an Arsenal fan, you will look at them and say all seven of them are wrong because that's that's a natural behaviour of a football fan. I can remember Craig Pawson off the top of my head, and I'm certain it was Craig Pawson. If I'm wrong, I apologise. But I remember Craig Pawson disallowing a Manchester City goal in an FA Cup semi-final when the ball hadn't left the field. And that was against Arsenal. So when people start talking about refereeing agendas, I struggle with it. I acknowledge at the same time we all do it for our own clubs. When I see Mike Dean or Martin Atkinson turn up at the Spurs game, I go and get an extra glass of whiskey just to just because I think at least it would chill me out when the inevitable happens. But you look at those decisions there, there are some 50-50s in there. There are some that I believe were correct decisions. But as an Arsenal fan, you're looking at it and you're building up this this great big conspiracy theory, as all fans do. And I think you need to you need to look at it sensibly look at the law in this context and ask yourself, if you are a governing body, how on earth you can overturn that decision? Because I, I, don't, can't think, I that. don't think Harry's looking for the FA to overturn the decision. I think so he's the looking problem? for the law to be written sensibly 
so that they can overturn the decision and common sense applied. And also, he's forgotten the sheet where it lists Arsenal FA Cup wins against referee decisions, <laughs> which will be a great list as well. Because then Arsenal wouldn't. Do you know, I can, you know, I can click the eject years. button over your name in about <laughs> a second. It doesn't take any you time. Lo- you lose all the female reviewers. He has that power. Without, without... I have that power, exactly. No, look, look. I get what you're saying, DDL, about the whole agendas thing. And, and I, you know, as much as. I looked down that list. I don't think that all of them were were wrong. I think mm. two of them were right, actually, for what it's worth, in my opinion. But for me, it's the level of incompetence across the whole league that is causing problems. Because yeah. it's not just Arsenal games. Every single weekend when we watch Premier League football, our WhatsApp group between us three is full of debate around refereeing decisions. We never come into the group and talk about... Oh, did you see that a, tactical a great change? Or, did yeah, you yeah. did you see what Thomas Tuchel did with the Chelsea side when he came in? Did you see how they were doing this differently? Did you see how they were opening up their opponents by overloading on the right flank, on the left flank? We don't talk about anything like that because the Premier League has been taken over and is now completely dominated by poor refereeing. That, that that's what the Premier League's become. Then, Go on. You know what the problem is. And let's not do the VAR debate now because there's no need. But what the problem is, you used to have one bad referee and now you've doubled that per match. You've now got two bad referees. So there's now two There's now two people to get pissed off at. You're doubling the problem that was already there. Referees aren't particularly brilliant. Fans aren't brilliant. Managers aren't brilliant. Pundits aren't brilliant. When they talk about decisions, they talk incorrectly. So you've got referees making them incorrectly as well. But now you've doubled that. And then people had this kind of hope that when VAR came in, it was going to take this away. And because it hasn't, they're even more frustrated and even more disappointed. But I agree the referees are poor. I think some of the, some decisions are confusing and baffling, to say the least. I feel, in this case, what frustrates me, which is why I sympathise with Arsenal, which is not something I'd say regularly, I kind of feel like, there's no common sense available to referees and they're so bad, they almost have to follow the letter of the law because they haven't got their own brain. So you look at a decision like that, I would like a referee to say, the law says that, but does it mean that? Probably not. We'll leave him on the pitch. But a judiciary body can't do that. Can't they just rewrite it to say, if it's a deliberate act, whether it's a foul or a handball, whatever offence may be, he's off. If otherwise... The guy stays on. How can a rule be written as if he makes an attempt the ball, but, he's on, but anything else is off? That anything it's, else uh, it's off is constitutional area. It's crazy. There's too many. There's too many rules for a start. They make things more complicated. But actually, there's this um, there's this thing that exists in in all sorts of industries where, actually, for whatever reason, we have this urge to write things in perfect English. And, and the wording in doing so makes things more confusing. You know, instead of saying, in the event of the player um, anticipating, fuck off, just say, if the geezer wipes him out, he's off. That's it. You know, if he tried to take him out, you know, he's off. If not, we are, we are humble, humble football fans. Yeah, we are humble football fans. Not many football fans are that intelligent. We don't need rules written in this fucking way. Just tell us in plain English what the rule is. Don't make it confusing. If someone wipes someone out, it's a penalty. 
There you go. That's clear. Or Why do we delivery need to... handballs it or yeah. whatever it is. Or yeah, whatever. just make it just make it as simple as possible for simple people to understand. Or take it. out the triple punishment, full stop, and then go back to how it was before. No, but there, there, there has to be something that, as Keith Hackett said, and if guys, if you haven't checked out that show yet, go back yesterday, have a yeah, have a good, good listen. Some really good points, some really good insight, and basically, what what Keith Hackett said was, Mike Riley has turned. The, all the referees under the PGMOL into clones of Mike Riley. And we all know what Mike Riley was like as a referee. And that should tell you all you need to know about where we're going. He also made he the also point said, don't trust that VAR lines. And we're not talking about offsides today. About yeah, we're not talking about offsides. He, and he also said that the punishment doesn't justify or doesn't, shouldn't, you know, the punishment is too severe for the crime committed. And I completely agree with that. But we've spent, enough time on that and um i think we could talk about this for, for days and weeks and months because it is a subject that there are a lot of layers to and it's something that a lot of people have, have been left frustrated by i'm genuinely worried about the direction in which our game is going and that's why i do lose my rag a little bit when we talk about this because it is so concerning from someone who, who loves who's grown up watching the premier league and adores it it is concerning that we've got to this point now. Let's um let's turn our attention to tonight's game, and I know it's not one DDL will want to talk about necessarily, but of course <laughs> he's off, he's off. Uh, but of course uh, Chelsea won at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, by a goal to nil. First of all, let's discuss the penalty because DDL, you are going to sound like a a bit of Spurs fan now, but you don't think it was a penalty. Um. <sighs> How shall I put this? You know, so I'm not going to be bitter because I, you know, I feel like we deserve to lose a game. So that's that's obvious. So that's fine. I just don't, in a similar way that I don't think David Louise, David Louise against Wolves was a penalty. I don't think this was a penalty, and it's because I want a penalty to be fitting of the crime, a fitting reward of the crime that's been committed, and I don't like penalties being given. When a player is when a player has dived or or gone over or crossed the line to earn it, and I, you know, I've been consistent about this when Spurs have had penalties in the past, so I can pick on one now. When I think Min Son won a penalty against Arsenal at the Emirates um, probably three years ago, and I said then I didn't think that was a penalty. Um, I think um, what has happened is there's a defender who's made a play so bad. He basically invited Werner. He's given Werner the easiest opportunity to walk into him and and win, in inverted commas, a penalty. And Werner's took that opportunity. Am I upset with Werner? No. Do I think it's a clear dive? No. What would it take is probably the question for me to say that was a penalty. If Werner was was heading in the direction of the ball at the point the kick was made, then I'd probably be like, okay, fair enough. But Werner hasn't gone towards that ball. He's seen Dyer on the floor. He's seen Dyer swing, and he's moved into Dyer away from the ball. So for me, that that is not warranting a penalty in my view. So I guess there's going to be a lot of fans who, who think that's bitter. You do get a view that say, well, if you go down on the floor, you give the referee a decision to make. I understand that. I'm not an idiot. If you go down and you play as poorly as Dyer did, you are asking for trouble you've got trouble. So this isn't one where I would write to the FA and start crying about it. But as an incident, 
what I see is a striker not trying to play the ball. And I don't think you should be you should be getting a penalty. You are allowed to stand there and wait to be kicked. I've got no issue with that. But when you move in front of the leg to make sure you're kicked, but the ball is not between you, but the leg is not between you and the ball, I've got an issue with that. And that's why, for me, that's that's not a decision that I like to see given a penalty. Alavi, you've got your head in your hands. I don't care. What's the that's, what's the, what's the verdict from? Uh, okay. I don't know what to say it's from the Alavi mansion this evening. What's the what's the verdict? <laughs> Just obviously a penalty, isn't it? I don't know what else to say it. It's a clear penalty. <laughs> I, I've got. I think it was a penalty as well, but I understand. <laughs> yeah, I what do. the Lucas saying to a degree, but you're never gonna not be able. To, you, you're never gonna be in a position, especially nowadays, where as a referee you can see that. And go. I thought. I thought. I can Jesus ignore that penalty. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I thought Jesus was a penalty last night. It 100%. got overlooked. It got overlooked because City won the game two 0 so it wasn't a sort of match winner. But I thought it was a penalty, and I thought tonight was more of a penalty. What I would say to Didier is he is. Con- you can't refrain from the fact that he's consistent. You know, so I have to give credence to the fact that he's consistent in his views, and he doesn't give those penalties with the four Spurs. Or against Spurs. However, in my view, I just don't see how that can't be a penalty. Like it, and I'm not just saying it because. Sorry, once again, I predicted Chelsea one 0 win Werner to make the difference, but um, it's a penalty. Like it. Oh, like, I, can't, I can't believe. Hold on, I can't believe that he's he's gone around the whole houses. Right, just to slip in that he predicted yeah, a one 0 Chelsea win. Right, yeah, yeah. there were only three possible scores tonight. <laughs> Honestly, nil nil, one nil Chelsea, one nil no, Spurs. That was because DDL that... started the whole Doctor Tottenham thing, so that we was knew all that it was. Timo Werner would uh, would make an impact. That was all it was going to be, and and so it's not exactly a masterstroke, is it? Um, Alavi? you backed uh, the favourites to get a narrow win. Uh, uh, I, I, think, I don't know what you want. A blue okay. Peter badge? I this don't get a, it. <laughs> this is such a cliche thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. In today's game, that is a penalty. And we live in today's game. You know, that's the yeah, best that, I can come that, up that, with, right? And that's, what, and that's fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. I, You know, I think, you know, 80, 80% of the people looking at that would think it's a penalty. You're, I don't you're think in it's a huge minority. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think it's a big, it's not a big debatable point. It's not one where I'm going to, I'm going to get a pickaxe and go and smash the FA doors down and say how disgusted I am by the decision. I'm not, I've got no issue with the decision that's made. I just don't, I don't feel that you're, you're doing. It's a microcosm of what I think Arsenal fans do. And I know you're not doing this, but it's often looking at a decision rather than actually how the team played. And I think Arsenal fans. No, no, that, but, no, but no. Because I know you're not doing that, but um, DDL. But actually, there's a lot of things where you can pick out that Spurs did wrong, rather no, than a decision. Y- you can say that, but I've I've got to defend DDL here because moments like that change games. They dictate the outcome of games. Take the penalty that Wolves got the other night. You know, Wolves didn't touch the ball for the first 45 minutes. Arsenal should have been 3-4-0 up. But no, no confidence, one has hope in Spurs winning tonight, inside or outside. Why not? Why, why wouldn't anyone have hope in Spurs winning at home against Chelsea? Who have been well, DDL's, the, DDL's the most optimistic Spurs fan and he goes, well, probably uh, he was ordering his bottle of whiskey like, on Tuesday night. So, Yeah, and I, did, I didn't think we'd win the game. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard for me to be... I always try and be honest, especially in front of rival fans because... 
because I think you need to try harder to be honest in front of rival fans because they just think you're a cunt. Um, but <laughs> I am um, cut that bit out. <laughs> sorry, so not kids listening. You should be in bed. <laughs> if you're offended by that language, you should be in bed. Why you in bed? Um, I kind of just feel like. I don't feel that penalty decision has made a massive difference yeah, in the sense yeah. the way the game was going, it always seemed to me like Chelsea were going to score first. The best that could have happened is they never scored and we drew nil-nil. Uh, like, whatever. One point and zero points makes very little difference to my life as a first time right now because we're so bad. So I, I don't really care about that. But you've asked me what my view of the decision is. I guess I've, I've given it. I've tried Would you to continue explain. with Mourinho? Um, it's a good question. Let me question. let me just add to that question. Let me just add some more to that question so we can address all at once. Okay. I did tell you when you hired him that this guy is a dinosaur. He will come in, there will be an initial bounce, and that bounce will disappear very quickly. With each job that Jose Mourinho has taken in the last few years, that period whereby that bounce exists and your team are in the peak of their powers and have a chance of winning something, is reducing every time he takes another job. Why has he gone and signed Gareth Bale? They forked out almost £20 million to bring in Gareth Bale. And when they're 1-0 down at home against Chelsea, he's not even looked at. What, what, what's the whole, you know, what's the whole feeling towards Mourinho, towards Bale, towards the whole Mourinho project, if you like, because it feels to me like it started quite well and it's hit a bit of a brick wall, the brick wall that it was always going to hit because Mourinho puts the wall up himself. I think, um, I think there's, there's, a few, there's a few questions that I'll try to cover off all in one go. So I think there's been two bounces with Mourinho. There was an additional, there was an initial bounce um, and then there was an additional bounce at the start of this season. So we had we had the initial bounce, and then we had we had the one at the start of the season where we had a good start to the season, we're in a good position, <clears throat> and then it's waned. Um, I think one of the lads there um, in the comments just said dinosaur. Um, I think his tactics are archaic. Um, the problem with Mourinho is his tactics can work, and he believes in them so much, and that's what your downfall will always be. A manager always has to have, in my view, three, at least two, but three plans. And then the skill in management is knowing which games to apply them in. So I think my view from the outset was I've always liked Mourinho as a manager. I feel Mourinho has been the best manager in our generation. Um, that's that's my view. That was before he joined Tottenham when he was managing rival clubs. So when he joins Tottenham, for me, I'm happy. It's a, a step in the right direction in terms of attracting a big name. There's a bit of a risk because his last job ended a little bit unsavoury, but he still he still he still succeeded at every club he's been. So he comes to Tottenham. I've got no issue with the tactics being played the the way he wants to play in certain games. The issue with Mourinho now is it's a bit similar to what happened to Arsenal at the back end of the last season. When they started winning playing a certain way, it became very, very hard to then play a different way. And then when they started losing playing that way, it was very hard to go back. So I think what's happened at Tottenham is the players were happy when it was winning, when we were winning. We've started losing. The players have now started to lose belief. And now nobody really knows what they're doing. There's no identity. There's no clue. There's no belief. Um, the manager doesn't trust these players. The players don't trust the manager. And we're in a, we're in a difficult spot. Um, 
Would I get rid of him? I think Aladi asked. Would I get rid of him tonight? No. Um, when he came in, everyone said, well, Mourinho will be there for three years and he'll leave. And I said, well, if that's the case, that's fine. Everyone says we haven't won anything. It doesn't really bother me. Um, it doesn't really bother me. We haven't won anything. It, it, it is what it is, but we're going to bring Mourinho in. Um, he's going to play in a certain way. Let's see if his way works. If it's three years, then put up with a bit of negativity for three years. In the general lifetime of supporting a football club, three years is not a long time. At the end of that three years, we'll see if the Mourinho way works. What the issue is now is nobody's got any belief it is going to work. And obviously, the majority of Spurs fans don't want to give him that time. I wouldn't sack him tonight. Um, I don't see what we gain by that. My personal view of Mourinho is we should keep him to the end of the season. During the season, he will either win a trophy, two trophies or three trophies or zero trophies. But irrespective of what he wins or not, I think we should leave him at the end of the season regardless of that. Because I think he's demonstrated that his tactics do not work over a 38-game season anymore. And I think Spurs fans want more than that. We've competed for league titles in the last few years. And I think Spurs fans would like to see at least competing. You know, I'm not saying winning. I don't want to win a title, but it's nice to look at the league table in March and say, yeah, we had a good run for our money this season. Yeah, yeah. You're going to That's lose what... more by sacking him than you yeah. would. By... Yeah. yeah. I'm, not saying, I'm, I'm not saying winning a league. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, you know, you want to look good. at the you table. That's not going to happen. You, but you want to, you, you've shit yourself more than once in the last five years, let me tell you. Not at all. Um, not at all. I, I remember you in tears the night before the Champions League final. Just oh, the Champions League final. I shit myself. Absolutely. Uh, I bought, me, me and Alavi were wearing Scouser tracksuits. Not even a joke. Not even a joke. <laughs> my my dad held a Champions League final barbecue so that we could all get together and the positive energy as a group of Arsenal supporters could help Liverpool get over the line. And lo and behold, it worked. Alavi, let me come... Arsenal sport, I just... Like, I just didn't want Spurs to win. Spurs. I just I don't want Arsenal Spurs to win anything because I don't want to hear about it. Let me let me come. Let me come. Enough help to be fair. I don't need any help from from you guys. Yeah, yeah. Let Let me come to Alavi quickly on on the sure. bail thing, and then I'll come back to you, Deluca. <laughs> you watched a lot of La Liga over the last mm. few years, Alavi, and mm. as much as it pains me to say, at a point Gareth Bale was unstoppable. He went to Real Madrid. His game went up to the next level. I thought he was, he, he he added a bit more, I don't know, he was a little bit more polished at Real Madrid, obviously winning Champions League after Champions League. I think he won four during his time at the Bernabeu, has elevated him up to a, a different standard. We saw him, him sort of carry Wales over the line in certain games as well in, in European competition. He's then come back to Tottenham. Why is it? in your opinion, that Jose Mourinho doesn't want to play him. If this was the case, what the hell did he sign him for? But I think Jose has a history with these players, doesn't he? Where if you're not willing to do exactly what he wants you to do, so he fell out with, you know, whether it was Cole or Robin or whoever it was, he has a history of if you don't do exactly what the prescribed way of him playing is, he doesn't want you. And whether he just believes that Bale won't track back or whatever it might be. He just gets it. The good thing about Jose is he sticks to his beliefs. Unfortunately, a bit like Wenger is that has its negatives where if he believes that you don't fit within his way of thinking, then he just doesn't play you. So he probably just believes that Deliel is too lazy, Bale won't track back, whatever it might be. 
That's the only thing I can think of. The only other reason is that for Zidane to just not have that confidence in you, to not think you're not worthy of even a subs bench on my team, has that has that diminished Bell's confidence. Because you've seen him when whole... he did... Yeah, but what was the game... Diluc, you tell me. What was the game where Bell did start? And he was actually quite poor a couple of games ago. So that shows oh. where when he... Sorry, mate? Yeah, you could pick pick um, pick any game you like, to be fair. Um, yeah, so, Harry, you're saying that Jose doesn't have a belief in him. He has started him in a couple of games recently, and he's been pulled off. I remember being pulled off a couple no, of no, games no, ago. That's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm it saying. Against, what I'm, it was Brighton, by the way. He started against Brighton. I think he's what? taken a risk, and risk reward, and it just... It's not like he signed him like it. So... He's just he's taken a he's taken a risk and it just hasn't he's taken a small risk and it hasn't paid off. But it's not this is my point. It's not really a it's not really a small risk, is it? It, it? Particularly in the times we're in, to go and spend almost twenty million pounds in bringing someone in—that's what it's costing Spurs over the the duration of the loan. To go and spend that kind of money, and then to look at. For example, you know, to, to just not have any faith in the guy whatsoever, not even for 10, 15 minutes here and there. But he has if I faith. was Daniel Levy, he started him. He, he started him because he's got no Harry Kane. Okay. Um, Gareth Bell, Gareth, how many? Look, I'm going to check the fact right now. Alavi, I can't stop staring at your drink because uh, you're just making me thirsty. But this, look, Gareth Bell, right, in the Premier League this season has made six appearances in the Premier League. Six. Six. How can you say that he's given him chances in the Premier League? Therefore, what I'm saying is the signing was pointless. It's actually set the club back and it's proven that Jose Mourinho is not as shrewd as he once was. I think some players as well, at a certain age, rely on athletic ability. They rely on pace. They rely on certain factors where... As you get older, if you don't have that, those physical attributes, those factors, then you're not that great. A so, like someone like Paul Scholes, it doesn't matter whether he got three years old or four years old or five years older because he could dictate a game. Actually, <coughs> Gareth Bell, yeah. in between say 23 and 27, 28, he's going to be immense. He's not the sort of player that past 28, 29 is going to dictate a game. He's going to lose that pace. He's going to lose. I think you're. I think you're letting him off lightly. But do you see what I mean? That he's not. You're letting off lightly. Like Mourinho. That's what I thought was so good about Giggs that he was actually able and and he was actually Uh, able to change his game. Honestly, right? If I played football, I could have played against Giggs when he was thirty, and I'd have fucking marked him out of the game. Well, the last the last the the last eight years that when he was Premier League Player of the Year, this fucking this will wind me up. You've lit in the touch paper. You've lit in the touch paper now. When he was Premier League Player of the Year, he started twelve games, and it gave me. I only only said that to wind you up. Yeah, we worked. <laughs> the guy no, from the age of thirty. But you understand what I mean. Certain players have a certain time. No, 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 because their peak. It's it's not it's not, I don't think that's valid here with Bale. I think that's a cop out because Gareth Bale, over the course of his career, has adapted his position to to make up for that. To make Gareth up for Bale that, Gareth Bale has fact. probably sold more in shirts 
to recoup his transfer fee. So we're not we're talking about the football here. Are we not accountants? Like I, I, I know you spend all day in spreadsheets, but that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't buy. A, I didn't buy a shirt. I did. I did actually. I might have told you this, but when we signed him, I'm in a Spurs WhatsApp group, as I'm sure you all are too, with fans oh. of, of Arsenal, or whatever. I, I told my 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 group that I don't think I think Bow will start less games than his shirt number, and. At that point, I didn't even know what his shirt number was going to be. It could have been three, and I'd still be right at this point. Um, but the fact is, in the Premier League, there are very few players beyond the age of 30 who work. There are very few. You can count them on one hand. Lampard, summer centre-half company. You look at Rooney, 30, finished. Gerard, 30, finished. So if you're bringing a player of that age to this club, you even look at Aubameyang this year, starting to starting to wane a little bit. He's still playing. He's still passable. But the majority of players in the age of 30, the Premier League is not the league for you at 30, all right? So you're in trouble. You need to be, you need to have everything working. Then you've got a player relying on pace. So I think Mourinho, exactly. And, exactly. Mourinho and Levy took a gamble on Bow. On paper, it makes sense. He had an idea to drop Kane in at number 10, which has worked. He wanted Son getting on the end of it from one side, which has worked. He wanted Bow getting on the end of it from the other side which hasn't worked. The sign in the bell hasn't worked. I've got no issue with Mourinho not picking him because the reality is um, he had a bad start. He came on against West Ham, drew three all, missed a chance, unfortunate. Then he played poorly in the next couple of games. Then he got injured, he was out for four games. Then he's not coming straight back in the side. Then he comes off the bench, doesn't make an impact. At what point do you take the punt? Then he thinks he's found the right time to take the punt. Um, he started him, he's been poor. Then he's got injured again. So it's just been on those stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And you look at it where someone in the chat mentioned it a minute ago. I didn't I didn't catch his name. I think it might have been James P. And I think he said dino. Um, it might have been him. It wasn't. I'm sorry. Where Mourinho is a dinosaur is not his tactics necessarily that makes him the dinosaur. Because there are plenty of managers, more managers playing the Mourinho way than other ways. You just don't notice because they're normally in the bottom half of the table or whatever. So you could argue, should he be at a big club anymore? Not should he exist as a manager anymore? That's another debate. Where Mourinho is a dinosaur is the way he is what he expects of his players. He has not come round to the fact that the world isn't, I am the boss and you do what I say. Modern players will do what they like to a greater or lesser extent. That's on the pitch and off the pitch. And he, the dinosaur part of Mourinho has not adjusted to that. So if Deli Ali doesn't want to track back, Mourinho needs to work out whether that's a big enough crime to freeze him out or not. Now, individually, dropping Deli Ali, I'm fine with it. Deli Ali's been poor. Not picking Gareth Bale, I'm fine with it. Binning Danny Rose off, I'm fine with it. All these players needed to go, and you need a tough, strong manager to do that. The problem is when you do it all at the same time, something then needs to work. And when it doesn't work, the players start to panic. It's not like the old days where, where like, if you think, if you're a left-back and someone else gets dropped from the squad, you look at it and think, oh, here's my chance to play. Nowadays, they're all, like, big buddies, like, having threesomes, playing PlayStation tournaments, living in each other's... Uh, you know what I mean? And this, players are different. So where Mourinho is a dinosaur is he has... He doesn't like the new world where the boss isn't the boss. And he struggles with it. And I think that is a factor as to why he is, he is failing at this moment at Tottenham. We're going to move on from Tottenham because, just conscious of time, we're going to we're going to touch on another one of the the big clubs that are not necessarily uh, fulfilling their potential at the minute. But the kind of final point I wanted to make is I totally accept that when he's played, 
he's not been very good. But the reason I struggle with it, and I, and I, look, I don't particularly give a shit. I'm an Arsenal fan. I couldn't care less. I'd love to see Spurs wasting money on has-been golfers and bringing them in every summer with this big hope that they're going to do something and they turn out to be complete and utter flops. And But the point is here, is that what's the alternative, DeLuca? You know, Steven Bergvine, right? And I've brought Steven Bergvine's stats up on my screen. 15 appearances in the Premier League, not a single goal. So why... Does he get more of a look in? What's, is it because he works hard? Is it because he works hard? Is it because he tracks back? Well, the whole the whole point of going and getting Hoiberg, for example, I thought was to was to give Tottenham that bit more balance, to give Tottenham that bit of steel in the middle of the park. And you look at the teams that have been more successful this season. You look at I always use Man United as a really good example of this. Their level has improved because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has found a balance. He's found this combination of McTominay and Fred, which by all means is the, probably the least skilled Manchester United midfield you've ever seen in your life. But the balance they provide the team allows Bruno, allows Pogba, allows Rashford, allows Martial and whoever else to go on and play football and hurt teams, right? Arsenal, to a to a lesser extent, obviously, because we're, we're nowhere near the top of the league, but... Mikel Arteta has found a balance lately. Mourinho, I don't think, has found a balance. I feel like Mourinho has tried to put this defensive core in the middle of the park and then still tries to go with the forwards that are going to give him the work rate. So at what point does the flair take over? At what point does the creativity come into it? You know, we all know Gareth Bell could knock the ball out of his feet and smash one into the top corner from 30 yards. Stephen Bergwijn ain't going to do that for you. No, 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 Stephen Bergwijn is not. Um, I think the, the reality is, and I'll say what everyone wants to hear, if, if you like, Tottenham have got some very poor footballers. And when you have too many poor footballers on the pitch at the same time, as Arsenal have seen in recent seasons, it's too many to carry. So that's just the reality of it. And there's key positions to be able to... To be able to get balance in a side, you need good fullback, fullbacks and you need a proper ball winner. And if you haven't got those things, you've got trouble. So then you have a choice. Do you protect the back four and play defensively and try and catch teams on the break? That's what Mourinho's trying. It was working. Now it isn't. The frustrating thing is he's still trying it. It's clear to us it's not going to work. So he needs to do something different. He's probably not going to. Or do you say, well, fuck that. I'll accept my defenders and shit. Um... I'll take a risk. I'll try and win the odd game 5-4 while I work it out. They're your choices. I would rather lose 5-4 than lose 1-0 because I get to jump up and down like a twat four times and still lose. <laughs> and that's fine. And that's that's the thing. With balance, you need, in the modern game, you need proper fullbacks and you need a proper ball winner, i.e. you need players who can do two jobs. And that's how you get the transition between defence and attack. Because, the last thing, sorry, Dean, the last thing about, the difference is Jose's always believed that even the best playmaker on the pitch should still do his due diligence in defensive work. And he's the only manager in the world who still thinks that. Yeah. And my view is you should have one. So like Meza yeah. Ozil. So that's the difference. And let's let's just link it back to Arsenal a bit on an Arsenal show. You know, I think Mourinho, because of his past, gets a bit of unfair criticism that other managers don't get. So Solskjaer doesn't get abuse for freezing out Jesse Lingard that Mourinho does for freezing out Deli Alley. It's exactly the same situation. Both are playing poorly. They've both been dropped. Mourinho gets the stick for that. Um, 
Arteta dropped those all like a stone while he was on 300 grand a week. Um, didn't really get criticism for it. Everyone said, well done. It was the right thing to do. He's not playing bad because he's not playing well. Mourinho gets criticism for it. And I, I'm not saying I've got an issue with it. The way Mourinho conducts himself, he sets himself up for a fall. He basically goes around in a certain way, which means when you do something wrong, people are going to give it back. He's got to accept that. But the, the, point, the point is, my view is with Ozil and the situation in Arsenal, I thought Ozil was playing poorly really poorly for a good few seasons. But there should be one player in each team who is the playmaker, who can do what he likes. If you choose that Ozil at your club, fine. I don't have to rate him. There's got to be one player who's allowed to do what he wants and you build the other 10 around that Jose, player. Jose never allows no. that, does he? But he did no, have Deco in the past, the didn't he? he? You know, he's had Deco, he's had players Even on that. that was a push, like, yeah. He's had no, players I've got, on that. I've got... I've got to disagree a little bit because Mikel Arteta did get stick for dropping Messi Ozil. Every time Arsenal went out on the football pitch and didn't create chances, that was the first thing that came up. He did get stick for it. But Sorry. when you're winning, the stick doesn't come, which is, which is yeah, that's that's the correct point you made there. When, the, when you're winning, the stick doesn't come. But Mikel Arteta has had plenty of stick for, for dropping people. <coughs> Jesse Lingard, I mean... Did he ever really light up the place? Did you ever look at Jesse Lingard and and think, oh my god, I can't believe he's not playing? Because I didn't. Because I mean, when Harry Kane when Harry Kane was making brilliant defensive clearances, we were all giving them credit. So it is purely a results thing, because when the results go against you, we're saying that he doesn't have that one playmaker. That's uh, the so I, sh- I should have clarified that point about Özil as well and Arteta. I expect him to get stick internally from Arsenal fans when he's lost, because that's natural. What I mean is, is the likes of idiots like Graham Souness, like you know, <laughs> ripping him apart. Is is the point? Is the point I was making there? Graham Souness is a great segue to the team that we're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> uh, next for the last uh, ten minutes or so. Liverpool. What on earth has happened to Liverpool? I've got my views on it. I'm pretty sure that. You know, Jurgen Klopp's failure to bring in another centre-back is not, I'm going to say, the only issue or the main issue, but it's a big part of it because they've lost Virgil van Dijk to injury with no real capable replacement. One week it's Nathaniel Phillips. The other week, Jordan Henderson's playing there. Fabinho's playing there. You know, it, it just feels like a complete and utter mess. He's gone and brought in two centre-halves, none of which I particularly rate, if I'm honest. And then, you know, off the back of that, off the back of having to shuffle the pack around so much, he has lost in other areas. He's lost in his midfield with no Henderson. I don't even majorly rate Jordan Henderson, but he gives you an engine. And, And this might be controversial, but one of the big issues I think Liverpool have had of late is the introduction of Thiago. Now, I'm not for a second saying that Thiago is not a brilliant footballer who can pull strings and, strings and can make things happen. But I would put this forward and say, and I'm going to come to you first on this, Alavi, that going from Jurgen Klopp's rock and roll football, whereby they move the ball through from the back to the midfield to the forwards as quickly as possible, Tiago's style of play has maybe just impacted that rhythm a little bit. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think I think it's very disingenuous just to point it all out to Virgil van Dijk because 
they have lost in that defensive area because of him. But there's a domino effect where actually those midfielders, like Henderson, like Fabinho, then have to cover at centre-back. And therefore, your midfield is a lot more weak and people like Thiago can't play the way you want them to play. And you look at Liverpool and you think they've got to go to City, they've got to play Leicester, they've got to play Everton the next month. And I can't see them getting many points from that. And actually, what Liverpool are suffering from is, and not just Thiago, and it's a great point, but they're now the team to beat. And teams find out how to play against certain players. And not just Mane being lost and Virgil van Dijk being lost, but teams find out how to play against players who are fit. And teams actually think, you're you're the champions, we're going to sit 10 men behind the ball. And then when it doesn't happen and Brighton actually go at you, Liverpool don't know what to do. And I I saw a great stat earlier where Liverpool have done a lot better against teams where they didn't hold most of the possession. So, you know, their wins against um, uh, Southampton, for example, their wins... um, uh, sorry, the wins. Sorry, no, no, the wins against uh, Leicester, Wolves, and Palace. They had like fifty percent of possession. They did brilliantly. Their losses were they against Southampton. Um, they had more than sort of seventy percent possession. So what they used to do isn't quite working. And I think the other thing with um, with Liverpool is they've been unlucky in the sense that I've never seen so many players out of form at the same time. So usually you have like. You might have Firmino not firing on all cylinders, but Mane and Salah will make up for it. And and that'll sort of be the insurance policy, if you like. But they've had so many players not firing at the same time. Like You've all seen the stats about Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I think only Kevin De Bruyne has made more assists than the two Liverpool fullbacks in the last three years or whatever. So I think he's basically ticked six boxes that could go wrong and all six have gone wrong. But he's suffering from being the team to beat, and people have learned how to play, um, how to play against them. So the joke is, <clears throat> everyone sits back against them, and they thought, right, we've got to try and break them down. Brighton, and I thought that was the problem. Brighton last night, I don't know if you saw the game, but Brighton last night tried to play football and still beat them. So that's the worry for me. Is they're screwed in both departments, essentially. Um, I don't think he's got cover. I, I think he's lost in his interviews. He doesn't know whether to blame the TV rights or whether to blame fatigue. Um, fair play to Didier, he called it before the season. I don't think Van Dijk would be as big a loss as he was, but he really, it really shows how much of it. I don't want to say a one-man team, but I've always said him and De Bruyne are the two best players in the Premier League, and, and it's certainly proving so. And, I hope they finish. You know, I want them to finish top four, but top four rather. But um, yeah, I can't see them challenging for the league at all. Uh, And yeah, I've got I've got a lot of sympathy about the fatigue thing and the you know and the fact that teams are having to play so close uh, games so close together because I look at Arsenal and I and I you know I compare the situation. Some of our key players at the moment: Kieran Tierney, Thomas Partey, Emil Smith Rowe. They've been suffering from. Uh, injuries that have been results of them being overplayed in short periods of time. And because the games are coming thick and fast and there aren't th- uh, big enough gaps between each game and there, are, there isn't enough training sessions in between each game, they're struggling to get back to that that 100% level because 
they're being called upon because we're desperately in need of them. And it's the same for Jurgen Klopp. You know, he'll be looking at, you, you watch some of the games of, of late and there's been games where he's picked Shakiri and he's picked Divock Origi in the starting lineup. And we're all sitting there going, my word, what has he picked them for? But ultimately his, his team are being asked to play sometimes two games in four days, which is just, it's incredible. So I understand why he's upset about that. I understand why it's a problem, but DDL, this is supposed but, oh, oh, to be... Sorry, sorry, before you go on to that, but you say that, but Klopp and Pep, and I'm sure DDL will agree with this, Klopp and Pep, Pep both talk a good game, but occasionally they then do the thing that contradict what they're saying. So Klopp bought, um, what's his name, Diego Yotto in a Champions League game for absolutely no reason, and he got injured. Pep talks about not, you know, too many games, and he doesn't <clears> make a sub. So what they moan about, they never actually end up putting into action sorry Didier Cop, Cop's an idiot Pep's a bigger idiot um, what Klopp is is a top football manager and he's worked out how like every top manager before him how to bully and manipulate situations to try and get your own way that's the that's the fatigue issue for Klopp he didn't make a single sub against Tottenham um, Klopp it's high energy yeah people run out of energy yeah that's it. That's it. It's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Mane, Mane as well, the way he yeah. plays. You, you can't... can't <clears throat> look, you can't... It's the same like what I was saying before in the Premier League at the age of 30. You can't keep running like a lunatic, covering 100 miles a game, 50 games a year. Now do that in a compressed season. It's hard. You can't do it. Then you need to find another way. You factor in the Van Dyke injury... There's a bit of confidence lost. You lose a bit of confidence in your defence. It means subconsciously you take a little bit off your attack. It's only a little bit. You add all these little things up, you lose a football match. You lose a football match, you get nervous. You lose two football matches. Now you've got a problem, you start doubting certain things. Then the manager comes out and he starts talking about Man United penalties, a bit like at the beginning of the show we were talking about Bednarek. We start talking about other teams. You start doubting the motives of the person talking. These things are small things. They add up. Liverpool are in the middle of a perfect storm. They haven't got <clears throat> their first choice, um, their first choice players. They haven't got their talisman. Um, they were coping at the beginning of the season when they had players out and winning, but that runs out. And all it is with Liverpool is is that. And when things run out, you need to dig deep and find the desire to overcome it. Now, when you get to a point where you as a human being accept you can't win the league anymore, you lose a little bit of that desire as well. That goes, you know, and then then you think you've you've already won your Premier League, you've already won the Champions League. Does it start to mean a little bit less? You add all these things up, there's a few points in a season there, um, and that's the difference between winning a league and, and not when the likes of Man City are in the division. It doesn't take it doesn't take much. So I think what I'm saying is with Liverpool, it's not one thing. It's a whole lot of little things. And I predicted some of these things before the season started, which is why I did say on this pod during my predictions that Liverpool would be the surprise package of the season for a dis- in terms of disappointment. They will not do as well as people think. You could argue they've done slightly worse. <clears throat> and it's for, it's for some of those reasons. I didn't know Van Dijk was going to get injured. They could cope with, the, with, with Van Dijk getting injured if they did it properly. Moving Henderson and Fabinho to the back is a ridiculous error. 
I'm disappointed in Klopp because. But, but Matip being injured is then a massive. That's just bad luck, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. It's not bad luck because is, Joel Matip has been injured throughout his entire career. He's broken down so many you times. You can't say there's but not Gomez an element of luck well, that goes it? into it. Yeah, come on, Harry. Like, Gomez, Van Gomez, Gomez, Gomez. No, I've, I've got sympathy. Injured. Come on, man. I've got sympathy for the Gomez one. Have yes. a day off, man. I haven't got sympathy for Joel Matip, and I'm going to prove it to you now with stats, facts, Alavi. I'm going to prove to you the All right, fact. Right. Joel Matip has been out injured for a period of more than three games since he joined Liverpool on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight occasions. Eight occasions. You cannot so you tell know, me that that is not you bad. Know, you know that that guy breaks down. It's like Jack Wilshire. Jack Wilshire has been mentioned in the, in the comments. Alex McCarthy says the Wilshire of the defence. If you're a manager and you go into a season with a player like that and you don't have sufficient cover, you're a, you're a mug. You can't tell me that there's not an element of luck that wins <coughs> leagues or loses leagues. No, I'm but, not saying but, there's not an element of luck, but you can manage against you it. Learn. You have to learn from the tides of history, right? Pep Guardiola last year played his best central midfielder at centre-half. Okay, Where did he finish in the league? A hundred miles behind. Klopp has done exactly the same thing this season, and it's a mistake. It doesn't mean... Klopp's lost a plot. It doesn't mean Klopp should be sacked. It doesn't mean everything Klopp's done before becomes irrelevant. But he's made a mistake, and the mistake he should have learned from. I could have told him if he asked me. He didn't. That's his loss. No problem. <laughs> but he, he, it's just stupid. Why would you take your best central midfielder out of central midfield to play centre half? And then you're playing the kids anyway. You may as well play the kids then. You might have had a few more points. But the reality is, you had all the things up that we've discussed there. That's too many things to cope with over the course of the season, and they won't win the title because of it. They should Agreed. have bid for David Luiz. Like, yeah. Agreed. Right, so um, we've come to the end of uh, this week's show, but I just want to get you guys to smash the like button if you haven't already, because on YouTube right now, uh, on YouTube alone, there's 128 tuned in at the moment, but we've only got 61 likes. So we should, in theory, be able to get that up to 100 likes between now and the end of the stream in a minute or so's time. So make sure you get your finger on the button. It doesn't cost a penny. Uh, so hit the like button if you haven't already. Make sure you've subscribed to the channel if you're new. And if you're interested in becoming a member and getting access to some of our members-only content, as well as uh, some of the other perks that are available, click the link in the description. Have a look at the three tiers of membership and decide which, if any of those, appeal to you. This week's members' content is a deep dive into the importance of Granite Xhaka. If you watch this and you still don't think he's important to this team, then I don't know what else to say to you. Tried my very best uh, to put all the points across in that one. So check it out. Uh, what else have I got to say? Um, likes, subscribe, follow the guys on Twitter as well. I'll drop their Twitter handles in the description. Um, thank you to everybody who's watched us live. Thank you to everybody who has listen to this back later on who has watched it back later on lots of kind comments Let, let's let's give a bit of a shout out to some of these guys uh big hello to alex uh big hello to louis uh to wesbird uh to nigo thank you says keep up the good work um louis enjoyed the show tofa says great show zoo says great talk roger says great insight 
Um, and James P says, good show. Have a good one, guys. Subbed. Thank you so much. Big hello to Thomas as well, one of our members out in Norway. He says, smash that like button. Let's show him the Tottenham support. <laughs> How are we going to support each other? Smash that like button now for Harry. Thank you so much. Right. The FA are clowns. Mourinho's finished. Klopp's an idiot and Pep's an even bigger idiot. Just some of the hot takes from this week's edition of The Social Club. We'll be back next week with more. Stay tuned. Until then, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.